This episode of Practical Guidance, we hear from attorney Richard Glovsky. Richard is a partner at Lock Lord's Boston office, where he handles significant employment-related litigation, including class actions, wage and hour issues, and discrimination and retaliation claims. He is a trusted advisor and general counsel to various companies and their senior executives, including conducting numerous training programs. I spoke with Richard recently about COVID and the many issues important to companies as their employees begin to return to work. I'm your host, Kevin Hilton. I'm an attorney with LexisNexis. To learn more about LexisNexis's practical guidance research solutions, visit Lexis.com. Lexis's practical guidance gives you insights to support what you do. Richard, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I know you're a partner within the Labor and Employment Group at Lock Lord. You're also a Lexis author for Practical Guidance. For the listeners out there interested in the topic of COVID and many other work-related issues, you should visit Practical Guidance and check out some of his articles on the topics. So Richard, let's just start out by telling the listeners a little bit about what you do in your practice. Sure. Um, well, very briefly, my background is seven years with the Department of Justice, uh, several years as chief of the Civil Division of U.S. Attorney's Office in Boston, where I first became exposed to employment law. And I've practiced pri uh, employment law primarily ever since. Block Lord is a firm of, uh, of 600 lawyers. We're in 21 cities, uh, which include in the UK and, and in Belgium. And uh, we're also, we have a very robust labor and employment practice group, which is located in many cities around the country. We're also members of a group called the Employment Law Alliance, which is an elite group of employment lawyers in which there are top employment lawyers in each state of the United States and every industrial country in the world. So I and my colleagues at Lock Lord can handle any employment or labor matter, literally anywhere in the world that our clients have issues with concerns about or needs. So that's a little bit about me, a little bit about Lock Lord. And uh, Kevin, I'm happy to be with you today. Today we're talking about COVID and the return to work. Would you tell our listeners about some of the thoughts that employers should be having as they consider bringing employees back into the offices? Uh, as I am confident most employers are aware, COVID is an issue that's evolved over the past two plus years and is likely, if not certain, to continue evolving for a period of time which is unknown. No one knows, and I've spent a lot of time studying this issue, reading about the medical aspects of it, certainly understanding the legal aspects of it. And if there's anything that's clear to me from those efforts, it's that there's still much about COVID that we don't know, that the experts don't know, that employers don't know, and that their lawyers don't know. So as a general matter, it's very important, in my opinion, 
for employers to remain nimble and able to adapt as circumstances change. Now that's a complex goal. The elements of it are complex because on the one hand, employers have an obligation to provide a safe and healthy work environment. And there's a specific organization, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, which is a part of the Department of Labor, that administers the laws that relate to health and safety in the workplace. And OSHA and other agencies, including the Equal Opportunity Employment Commission, Centers for Disease Control, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services, have all issued mandates, guidelines, suggestions, all kinds of publications about how employers should deal with COVID-related issues. It's a, an often difficult body of information to synthesize and one for which those who work for employers and are charged with that, those responsibilities have my utmost empathy. But my principal point is that COVID, as far as we know, is not over. It's likely to continue for some time. There are those who think it will be with us, perhaps like the common cold for ever, but no one knows. And Recently now, the BA2 variant has become more prominent. BA2 is distinguishable from BA1, which was the Omicron virus. What, what we're variant, and what we're learning is, it seems that BA2 is more highly infectious than Omicron. Now, that doesn't mean that employees and others are more vulnerable to it generally. But it does mean that there's another variant or subvariant out there that may soon impact the workplace. There's a surge of cases in Europe and BA2 is now the dominant version of the coronavirus in the United States and around the world. And there are indications that it is growing. So when you get back to the complex nature of how employers deal with COVID issues, on the one hand, I suggest there needs to be a recognition that BA2 and other variants are likely to occur and impact not just the general population, but the workplace as well. And there are other indicators, as employers may realize, wastewater indicators have been um, recognized as precursors of COVID spikes. And the wastewater readings around the country um, have demonstrated recently, especially in the Northeast, but as I gather elsewhere as well, um, increases that are likely to occur in the BA2 subvariant. So employers need to understand that um, 
to some extent, and we don't know the extent yet, but to some extent, there is going to be a surge and increase in COVID affections, infections soon. Now, they may be maybe less than what happened with Omicron. More and more people have been vaccinated and boosted. Some people who've had experienced COVID now have some immunity for a while, but it's not a simple matter. So for example, less than 70% of Americans over 65 have had a booster shot. That leaves a large group that's vulnerable. In many communities, in, in Massachusetts, for example, where, where I live, a lot of businesses are unable to fulfill jobs that are necessary for their survival. Restaurants are a good example, um, but there are many others. And several have opined that one of the reasons or one of the antidotes to the lack of sufficient human resources to fill the needs of businesses could be offset by recognizing that older Americans, for example, still have a role to play in the workplace. They're generally speaking, some viewers may disagree with this, but generally speaking, my view is that our society is an ageist society. We generally tend to emphasize younger um, role models, for example. In the legal industry, many law firms have mandatory retirement ages at 60 or 65. In many law firms, perhaps most, if not all, um, get to a point where they're trying to elevate younger partners and lawyers and uh, compensate them uh, at the detriment of older lawyers who they perceive as um, of less value, at least the future of the law firm. And that phenomenon, I believe, and I've seen it in other industries. So when an employer is thinking about employee retention and not just health and welfare of its employers, one of the elements of that that I would urge them to think about is the need to retain older Americans. And there are many examples today of very successful people who continue to be incredibly vital and successful into their mid seventies and even early eighties, that if they help to ensure the health of those folks, they're going to be ensuring also the health of their workforce and their ability to uh, fulfill their professional mission. So among the many thoughts I would offer to employers as COVID evolves is 
to consider their position with regard to booster shots because it seems to be recognized that the initial immunization shots, either the two-shot procedure or the one-shot procedure, do not last forever and may be waning now. So, and uh, employers may know that it was recently determined that those who are over 50, and especially those who are over 65, should receive booster shots. So employers should consider whether to encourage booster shots or even mandate them. Many employers mandate vaccinations. Maybe they should be mandating booster shots. And part of the complexity too relates to pandemic fatigue because none of us have enjoyed this experience. None of us enjoyed wearing masks, social distancing, and all of that, frequent hand washing. It has not been a fun experience for perhaps anyone in our society, if, if not internationally. So that's part of the complexity for employers dealing with this issue and recognizing that their employees are, are tired of having this process of addressing COVID issues for now more than two years. So they have to deal with that internally and decide how aggressive to be or not in terms of what they may require or request employees to do. But all of this should be with their health and welfare borne in mind. So there are lots of ways in which employers can help ensure the health and safety of their employees into the indefinite future while time will tell us what happens to COVID and whether it disappears or dissipates enough so that some of these concerns no longer have to be worried about. The CDC has recently indicated that uh, and, and has put out maps indicating where COVID is most uh, concerning. And they've color-coded it. So one, one way in which employers can help ensure a healthy workforce is to pay attention to that map. Now, most of the map now shows green, which means that there are relatively low rates of new cases and hospitalizations in those areas. But there are a number of growing yellow spots showing medium interest in, in, in places like Texas and the Northeast. And then there are orange-colored hotspots that are cropping up in places like Montana, the Dakotas, and other states. And this elevation in these various color codes is something employers should be mindful of, should should monitor and should make decisions about how to address their workforce based upon you know, what those um, indicators suggest. And this applies, of course, many employers employ employees in multiple locations. So to add to the complexity, one size doesn't always fit all. 
you could have an orange colored spot in one location where you have employees and, a, and, and green spots in other places. So an employer may have to, and perhaps should address the orange colored spot in a way that it wouldn't necessarily address its employers in a green location. Another item that employers should follow is the CDC's wastewater data tracker, which is also publicly available. And that, as I mentioned earlier, is a precursor to an increase in a community's positive test rate. So you can get, an employer can get ahead of the game a little bit by tracking the CDC's wastewater data. Uh, secondly, employers should be, or third, employers should be ready for circumstances to change. So for example, they could stockpile N95 respirator masks, masks, which are available at pharmacies and community centers. There are uh, at least some available there. Uh, and so there's also the CDC has a zip code mask locator where you can find uh, quantities of masks that are most effective against COVID. So another approach that employers should consider is perhaps purchasing high quality masks that they'll have on hand should there be a spike in COVID. Home tests. It would make sense to encourage employees to order home tests, many of which are now free. You get two sets of four COVID home tests from the government. If you haven't ordered them already for folks to have at home um, to use as circumstances may dictate the need. I mentioned boosters earlier. Employers should consider either requiring or at least advocating for employers to get boosters. Now, as I've mentioned, federal regulators have authorized the second booster shot now for people 50 or older. And, um, and it's also authorized a second booster for people who are 12 or older with certain immune deficiencies. It's, a, it's a, part of the process of being, in my opinion, an employer who is uh, most effective in helping its employees to remain safe and health healthy is the educational process and to educate them about these various issues. They don't have to mandate it, although many do, and that may make sense for, for them. Um, and some are required to, especially you know, healthcare-related agencies that receive Medicare and Medicaid funds, those are now mandated. Um, but by educating and encouraging, if not mandating, folks to get booster shots, especially those 50 or older, will help to retain employees and also to keep them more and more um, safe and healthy. Employers can encourage employees to purchase or perhaps subsidize the purchase of pulse oximeters. Pulse, pulse oximeters measure blood oxygen levels. 
And when they drop below 92, patients, employees should see a doctor. And oftentimes, low oxygen can be a sign of COVID. So that's another item in a toolkit for employers to consider. They also should consider suggesting to employees they make um, they have a plan for antiviral drug treatment. Um, these require a doctor's prescription, and they're only authorized for people who may have a high risk of severe disease. But there are two that are available that seem to be effective. One is called Paxlovid, P-A-X-L-O-V-I-D, which was developed by Pfizer. And the other, I'll spell it because I'm not sure how it's pronounced, is M-O-L-N-U-P-I-R-A-V-I-R, which was developed by Merck in partnership with Ridgeback Bio, uh, Biotherapeutics. And each of these involve uh, taking so many pills over so many days, usually five days. And with such a prescription, should an employee become infected, they can head it off quickly. But without the prescription, then they're more vulnerable to the ravages of COVID. Also, employers should encourage employees to have backup plans for social events and travel. So, for example, if a family's planning a wedding or a graduation party, they should have an outdoor backup plan just in case the community's numbers spike. Um, if employees are traveling for business purposes, it wouldn't hurt to provide them with uh, a location of a clinic or a pharmacy if they should need um, an antiviral drug such as Paxlovid. So there are lots of uh, ways in which employers can help ensure the health and safety of their employees <clears throat> now and, uh, and in the near future at the very least. <clears throat> um, probably many of these antidotes that I've mentioned are ones that would be applicable as time goes on. But as I mentioned, Kevin, earlier uh, in this podcast, this is an evolving area. It's great that it has declined. It would be wonderful if it disappeared. But there's no indication that we've seen the end of COVID as much as all of us would like to be able to pronounce an end to it. It's not likely to uh, end anytime soon. There are, there are the implications of COVID for those who've had it remain to be seen. Long COVID is something from everything I've read that remains a mystery to the medical profession and, and experts who study viruses generally and COVID viruses in particular. So it's not something you want. It's not something any employer wants any employee to experience. And when they think about providing the healthy and safe work environment that the Occupational Safety and Health Administration requires, there are a lot of ways in which they can 
help their employees to minimize the risk. And at the same time, as a very practical matter, if they implement some or all of these ideas or perhaps others that occur to them or they're advised to consider that I haven't mentioned today, and I don't, I'm not saying I know every possible way in which to address COVID in the workplace, but they will limit their exposure to liability. Um, they will limit their exposure to OSHA sanctions. They will limit their exposure to employees who experience COVID and believe they've obtained it in the workplace, which can lead to workers' compensation claims. We've seen cases of spouses suing employers claiming that their spouse obtained COVID in the workplace and that's how they got it. Uh, there are implications for employers who don't do their best to provide a safe and healthy work environment that I have no doubt they'd like to avoid. Thank you, Richard. That overview just gave will be very helpful for listeners who are trying to wrap their mind around the issues at play here. I want to reiterate that on Practical Guidance, we have a number of your articles on the topic of COVID and managing these issues. So uh, please do check them out. Uh, Richard, I wondered, are, are you encouraging employers to start considering the creation of new roles or hiring to cover this aspect of employment and safety concerns? I, I ask because it sounds like monitoring CDC, OSHA, and even just looking at the growth maps of COVID appears this could be a new position within corporate structures. Well, I, I'm seeing it to some extent, yes. What companies are struggling with, many of them, is the desire of their employees to be rid of the COVID burden of mask wearing, which is tiresome, admittedly, and other precautions that employers require. Many people, for example, as I'm sure you know, do not want to be vaccinated. And a lot of employers are requiring vaccinations, which are resulting in people leaving jobs, people initiating litigation, suggesting that um, they should have an exemption from a mandate because they have a sincerely held religious belief or they have a disability that prevents them from being vaccinated. Uh, I don't envy employers who have to deal with all these issues. And, uh, and part of the fabric of them having to deal with those issues is employers who are tired of the process and reject it many of them. So what they're faced with is an internal determination and assessment as to what is going to be best in that particular workplace. There may be, for example, key employees who do not want to be vaccinated and if required to be vaccinated will quit. They could be people who have 
salespeople, for example, who are integral to a company's success and who, as a result of their efforts, bring in a tremendous amount of income to the company. Well, so what does the company do if it's contemplating a mandatory vaccination mandate and someone like that says no? So these are very complex issues and I'm not sure the complexity is going to diminish in the near future at all. Uh, In fact, as COVID diminishes, hopefully, and it, and it will, it doesn't, it may even make the process more complicated because people are still dying. People are still getting sick. People are still getting very sick. It's not as if COVID's gone away. So these are tough contexts for employers to operate in. There are so many factors they need to consider from requiring to recommending to educating. There's perhaps three levels of involvement with their employees. And then there are all the other items that some of which I've talked about today, uh, which are available to keep employees healthy and safe. And employers, you know, some are unfamiliar with all of these options. Some are well aware of them. Uh, Those who are unaware of all of them sometimes act without full knowledge of what they could be doing, even though they're, they're acting in good faith. And then there are some employers who understand all of this, but because of the internal repercussions of requiring, especially requiring certain employees to take certain precautions, um, you know, they have a particular challenge because um, you know, that is a context in which they will lose employees who may be critical to their business. So the answer to your question is, I'm seeing some some of this, not as much as uh, there could be. Right. And I think arguably not as much as there should be. It'll be interesting to see how companies continue to embrace pandemic preparedness. I was recently listening to a radio broadcast about claims related to Amazon. Uh, and employees who were early on in the pandemic led to work despite not having PPE. Uh, are you seeing a surge in litigation from similar claims um, at this point? Um, well, the answer is yes, but I'm not sure it's fully gained all the steam it may gain. Right. Because um, the Biden administration has indicated that it's that OSHA under its administration is going to be more aggressive than it was under the Trump administration. So, and, you know, in any transition in administrations, it takes a while to ramp up. So, yes, 
while there's been a fair amount of litigation that originated, let's say, in March of 2020, or at least in the early days of COVID, as it's become, as COVID's become more prevalent in societies, people have learned more about it as legal issues have been explored and dissected. The litigation that relates to it has gained momentum and it may continue to gain momentum because litigation often follows by some years even the that which resulted in it. So, for example, if a case started somewhere in the country in 2020 that was related, COVID-related, it may not go to trial until 2022, 2023, and it may involve issues that are appealed, and those issues take more time. And then once you get a final determination, that provides additional guidance to lawyers and employers as to what they can and cannot do. So oftentimes the, the, the buildup to litigation and the number of cases, strength of cases, and uh, viability of cases increases over time uh, and is not apparent early on in the process. Richard, thank you again so much for your time and all the insight you've provided today. To learn more about Richard's practice at Lock Lord, visit the firm's website. And remember to visit Practical Guidance to see some of the valuable articles Richard penned for our solution. Tune into our next episode, where I'll speak with Squire Patton Boggs' attorney, David Oberly. David and I will speak about biometrics. We'll explore the litigation, as well as state and federal regulation evolving in this space. And remember, no matter your practice area, if you need practical guidance on how to proceed in your work, check out Lexis's Practical Guidance Research Solution, available now through Lexis. For more information, visit Lexis.com. Thanks, and be well.